Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Hello, how are you? I am Andrew. One of the hosts of the Ephesiology Podcast, as always. I'm just going to say this, I'm sorry, aka, I have been rushing all morning, and now we're getting into the podcast, and I'm trying to figure out how to introduce this. Yes, that's exactly right, because life happens before we hit record, and life continues to happen while we record. Uh, So that was Michael, our resident Ephesiologist, that you have heard, and um, enjoy, pure joy. We are joined today, part three, by our friend Steve Leston, president and CEO of Every Tribes. Uh, Thank you. I was like, I know I'm missing a word. This is, again, that rushing thing. I'm just (laughs) forgetting. It only has three words, to every tribe, and I forgot one of them. So, Steve, both my apologies and welcome. Well, brevity is the essence of wit, so I appreciate your wittiness this morning. Um, Gosh, if I could only be witty. Uh, so, uh, Michael, uh, we are excited to have Steve. Uh, we are excited, Steve, to see you, to talk with you because, uh, we have been slowly, uh, well, I hope our listeners don't feel it's been too slowly, but, uh, we have been working through, uh, an article, a, a research, a thought process that Steve has been going through, uh, called Mission in a post-everything world, and we have been focusing on the forces that are pressing in on the church that is going to affect who we are now and who we are becoming or or the things that are in front of us. Uh, Steve, is there anything more generally as a summative way that you would like to say about where we've been and where we're going today? Yes. So we can, the the focus of this is really to think through what's actually happening in the world around us and how we need to be thinking about how we're engaging this world and maybe to break out of our bubble a little bit of just kind of self-existence and to recognize there are massive forces coming uh, against, not against us, but massive forces in the world that are shaping the world, shaping society. and as Christians, we want to be ready to engage thoughtfully, prayerfully, and and knowingly. Yeah, and I, think- I appreciate this line of thinking that you've been doing, Steve, because it is very much looking forward. Um, I, I like to, to talk about how in missions, we, we want to be looking forward. We don't want to be responding to things, but we want to be anticipating things. And and that's what you've done. Some of it, of course, I mean, we've known about some of these things, haven't we? The global migration. This isn't a new phenomenon, but uh, sorry about that. Thanks. Uh, But uh, but looking at how we can respond most effectively. So I'm grateful for your thoughts on this. Thanks. Yeah. And there's something I'm, I'm excited about specifically as somebody who tends to react to too much. Uh, personally, and not do enough uh, planning, forethought, get our ducks in a row before we move along a path. Uh, I think historically, our church has done that in the West, 
we just do a lot of reacting. And it is mainly, I, I appreciate the both of you, thinkers like y'all, who are helping us see, hey, this is what is ahead of us, and we think this is what's coming uh, that we need to be thinking about so that we as the church can engage uh, with others around us and not just feeling like we're behind the eight ball and everything. Yeah. Um, so we have two topics that we are able or hoping to get to as we can talk about some of these forces. Uh, and the next ones on our list here are at, well, the next one on the list is the force of at-risk families or children. Uh, Steve, what do you feel that this major force is something that the church needs to both think about and be ready for? Yeah. So we, when we look at at-risk families and children, we, I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast needs me to run through statistics of human sex trafficking or broken families or the impact of war, the separation that comes. There's, there's a, there's a whole, you know, variety of litany of things that are, that are kind of breaking down families in, in the world. And these numbers are are easy to find. You can Google them and, and you can get a lot of data on that. And, and I live on the border of Texas and Mexico. So right at the nexus of where this stuff happens, um, I can, I live in that space. I see it every day. But I, I would, I, a thought hit me when, when I was looking at some numbers of how many children are crossing in, in the border in the United States every day. And, and these are children that are just at risk. They just have so many things that have happened to them that have, that have just scarred them. And, and I was looking at the numbers and I asked myself this question what will these children be like in 20 or 25 years? Right. And, and when you look at the total number of families and families and children that are in at-risk situations, at some point, this generation of at-risk families and children will be future leaders. And they will have been shaped by war, by famine, by corruption. They will, many of the future leaders of the world will have suffered some form of sexual abuse. Um at numbers that will be staggering. Mm -hmm. And so when you start thinking about the future and you start thinking, hey, as a church, how do we engage the fact that we, we are dealing with a lot of scarred people? How do we make disciples when we're dealing with trauma, when we're dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress, things that are that are very real that people have gone through that that we're not just using some, you know, D1 disciple program, you know, and, and just kind of running them through some play we've been running since 1972. Right. right. Uh, but instead saying, hey, uh, are we prepared for the trauma counseling? Are we prepared for the for mm -hmm. what it's going to take to help people resolve some of the, the realities to be resolved in Christ and to understand these really complex situations? And 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 that view of the world is going to shape the way the world's run and governed. So as a church, I, I feel like we, as a body of Christ, let's think about how do we need to redesign discipleship? How do we need to redesign theological education? How do we create processes for people to get access to theological education when they have not been in school? Hmm. But yet we would like them to be future leaders in the church, but they have been trapped around the world, maybe trafficked or 
been in migration trains and they spent most of their youth going from one country to another, they don't have the educational capacity to get into a seminary or something else. So I'm thinking we really should be kind of forward on this thinking because we're not talking about small numbers of people. Um, they would say in 2022, nearly 200 million children were living in an at-risk situation globally. Oh these are these are these are big numbers. So these are just thoughts that we start thinking: how how do we prepare for this, and and how should we adapt uh, our Western approach to uh, discipleship and theological education, uh, and and how do we think through raising up leaders? So those are just the the things that kind of I feel like, hey man, maybe we should start thinking about this now. Michael, what comes to mind for you as? some of the most critical pieces with that? Oh, goodness. I, I mean, there's so many, right? And and because uh, you think about it, it, particularly, in particularly uh, children um, and the numbers of those that are at risk, not just simply in because of migration or because of displacement, whether it's internally displaced children because of uh, civil unrest or whatever, but there are any number of health issues as well. Mm. Um, we often talk about this as wash programs, water and uh, sanitation and hygiene programs that are so desperately needed because we know that one of the uh, um, leading factors of poverty in the world is the lack of these simple, basic uh, conditions that would help uh, people flourish. So when you don't have clean water or sanitation or or proper health care, you have not only sick uh, a sick workforce that's unable to provide for their family, you have sick children. And those we're we're learning more and more, and maybe we're just catching up to this, but mm -hmm. uh, how developmentally speaking for children, how much they are impacted by these poor conditions. Uh, in terms of their development, and so um, thinking about this in a in a forward way, and how we engage uh, effectively as uh, we think about the the proclamation of the gospel around the world, I, I think is exactly where we need to give uh, some more thought. You know, we get so I, I think enamored by you know the the numbers of churches that are planted the the I'm, have air quotes here, the number of people converting, that sometimes we forget that these are people sometimes in, in dire straits, mm -hmm. uh, economically, uh, socially, educationally, uh, uh, and, and in other areas, that we need to give attention to that. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, early on in the early 2000s, we were beginning to get more awareness, and I appreciate so much... Um, uh, uh, Rich Stern's book on uh, the, the hole in our gospel and other uh, volumes that were coming out, helping to make us aware of these things and the work of World Vision in general. I mean, mm -hmm. historically has been to raise our awareness of the needs of people. But what happens is, you know, we tend, and Steve, you can speak into this too, we tend in the evangelical world to swing uh, on a pendulum. Yes. And uh, where the reception of these ideas and the whole of the gospel have been looked at as, hey, this is the social gospel, and we adamantly reject the social gospel. 
And so we swing to the other side and we say, well, we need the salvation of people's souls so that they get into heaven. And uh, and so we're seems like we continually are on this pendulum. And I think, Steve, what you're speaking to here is that we need to we need to wrestle with bringing these things together, even though they might seem to be in tension. They really are a part of uh, who Jesus was when he was here and, and his ministry. And so we need to think about what what does that look like for us? Well, and, it, and I think one of the pieces of this, and from, just from my own ministry background, I have worked and and have been involved in church planning in regions where there have been children that have been living in at-risk situations. And, and when you do that kind of work, you know, it's easy to just to think about, you know, uh, a simplified idea. Well, why don't we just go there and start a church? Okay. Well, what does that mean? Right. What does that mean with individuals who, um, their concepts of so many pieces of the world of mother or father, uh, are just so damaged and, and hurt. Um, trust is gone. Inability to read inability to, to even grasp basic concepts. Um, you know, the amount of work you do, discipleship isn't just plugging and playing with somebody who's already in school that are, mm-hmm. have parents that are, that are healthy, that, you know, aren't, aren't dealing with massive issues of, of, of malnutrition that come over. I mean, these, these things are, are, you know, you know, when we kind of bifurcate that, Hey, we got like church planting or social gospel and you bifurcate those two things and you say, well, wait a minute. You don't, they're not bifurcated in the world. Yeah. They're, they're not bifurcated in the world. I mean, every single church planner eats a meal, I bet. I bet every pastor in the world's eating a meal at some point in his day and not even thinking about it. What about people who don't have access to food? How do you plant a church in those areas? And it isn't just that, it's recognizing here's an interesting statistic. In 2020, there were roughly 260 million children who were not in school the beginning of the year, the the pandemic added another 117 million children. Oh, it took away schooling for another 117 million globally. So, so you have got, you know, just slightly, slightly south of close to 400 million children who are not getting educated. Wow. What does that mean for making disciples? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for helping these children become leaders, helping them discover their spiritual gifts? How do you do this with illiteracy, malnutrition? And I'm not talking about a social aid program or anything. I'm not advocating for any kind of program. I'm just saying, have we thought through this? Um, Have we thought through how we as churches, as church planters, when these children add in our doorstep, come to our doorstep, how is our Sunday school programs going to change? Mm-hmm. How should our discipleship programs change? Can we recognize that we can't probably keep running the same play as if it's 1974? Right. And and I even think was, so, so many things are coming to mind for me. Um, on one hand, some of us who minister in affluent areas, we say, well, those churches... <laughs> those churches are going to have to deal with this. And uh, I have 
come to realize how naive that is. Uh, one, in Houston, we are so, so, so stinking diverse, and the affluent areas are buttressed by not affluent areas. And we are neighbors with people who are dealing with things that are not on our radar. And so it is, uh, which I appreciate, Steve, you saying is, put it on your radar, period. Yes. Like, this is your reality. Um, whether you see it or not, it is happening, and we just need to open our eyes. Uh, we need to wake up to what is happening yeah. around us. Yeah. and then Because it's going to be in your neighborhood. It is. not. It's not going to be. It is. Present exactly. tense, you are not seeing it, honestly. Um, and the other thing that's coming to mind for me, and we, we've talked around it, I think there are so many... <laughs> There are so many mental health issues that are surrounding um, the children today. As you're as you're talking about, Steve, like those are going to be our future leaders. And I think the truth of the matter is, and I can, again, I can speak to myself. I can develop in my theological education. I can develop in my preaching skills. I can develop and how I relate to other people. But sometimes you can move on a trajectory without ever dealing with some real rot that you've been carrying inside. And uh, what's the phrase? The truth will out. <laughs> like there are some things that are inside of you. And when you're bumped, they'll come out. And there are Sunday after Sunday, if for those of us who have like a nice I shouldn't say nice, but have a Sunday morning routine where we're we're meeting in the same building and we're seeing the similar people. And we show up not knowing what's going on below the surface or how people have been bumped. And then when people are bumped and some of those mental issues are coming out, are we ready? Like, are we ready to deal with the people who have been raised in at-risk situations and they show up on a Sunday and we think, uh, I think poorly, we think, oh, they're just like us. And then all of a sudden, they are dealing with things on an emotional level, on a mental level, where now they are struggling and we don't know how to help them. Right. And I think, Michael, to, to your point about the whole gospel or the hole in the gospel, what is the good news of Jesus to them with what they're dealing with? Mm -hmm. Why is Jesus the, not just the savior of all the world, but why has what Jesus has done on the cross and through his resurrection, why is that enough? How is that enough? How is that sufficient through the things that we are all dealing with? And how does the gospel actually impact those who are at risk, who have been raised in at-risk situations and find themselves as children or as families or as adults who have been raised that way? How is Jesus impacting them? I know we've got another topic to get to, but I've got one more kind of piece oh, to this. Absolutely. I'd like to kind of maybe could put a bow on this too with us. But here's where I want to get real practical on something. If 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 we here in a Western context, we we can very easily on a Sunday morning, you know, I could stand up in a church in, in the United States and, and say, God is in control. And and people would raise their hand and say, Amen. You know, and I can pray a prayer. Thank you, God, that you are in control. Now, you might hear that prayer and you might find comfort in that prayer. You might be going through some hard times and you say, man, praise the Lord, God's in control. 
How does a girl who has been sex trafficked hear that? After all that she's been through, how does she hear God's in control? Yeah. You know what, Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot because I know you have a story about this and I'd love for our, our listeners to hear that story. Yeah. There is a girl that brought across the border and she had been, you know, horrible things had happened. That's all we can say from the age of 12 to 17. Mm. This might take a minute. guys. Yeah. No, I know the silence is stirring emotion. Yeah. And, uh, she was told that God was sovereign and she freaked out. How could God be sovereign and let this happen to me? And the things that happened to her, I couldn't say on this podcast what she had experienced. She probably um, has every kind of sexual STD disease at 19, had several children, 12, 13, 14, had a lot of abortions, not by her choice. She'd been taken captive. Have we thought through how our theology sounds mm -hmm. to a girl like this? How do you explain to her that God is in control? God seems evil to her at that moment. He's not evil. Um, she, could, she couldn't talk. And the thought that God was in control made her mad and shut her down. And she had a really strong emotional you know, experience to this. And, and the first thing she had to wrestle through was being angry with God. And, and you might say, man, well, you can't, you can't teach that, Steve. Like you can't teach. Well, I'm not teaching her to be angry with God. It's not right. like I'm sitting down saying, Hey, you should be angry with God. Uh, and no one that was dealing with her was teaching her to be, she was angry with God because right. somebody told her that God was sovereign and explained to her what that meant. And she couldn't reconcile that because of all that she had been through. And what happened was somebody was bringing a, a theology in the wrong order to this person because they didn't understand the trauma that she had been through. And she had to rest, wrestle with this idea that God allowed this to happen. And, and if you haven't had the types of things happen to her, because the people who grab children and want to do immoral things with them are not kind and gentle. They abuse these children. They're abusive by nature. If, if this is attractive to you, you're, you've got a really big problem. So she is engaging with the worst of society mm. and the worst of sin, the most heinous of sin from the age of 12 to the age of 19. And the first thing she has to do is be able to pray and communicate with God. And, and lesson number one is you just got to teach her to talk to God. Mm and help her reconcile these feelings and to bring them to the Lord. But then over time, shifting this, that God is just, that he's a just God and that, that, that he'll pay with recompense these things, you know, that have happened to her. But sometimes well-meaning Christians that don't, aren't thinking about the person. They, it's just an exercise in theological 
you know, in exercise in theology, you know, I, I'm learning 12 doctrines, I memorized 12 doctrines, right? And I'm just going to go kind of spout those out. And I'm not realizing when you're with an at risk person, man, you've got to think this through. Yeah. Because and in the, the thing that the burden for me with this is the there's a lot of children right now being introduced to our foster system in the United, especially in the United States. But this is true global, where these children are coming to just neighborhoods and how are they processing what they're hearing and what are the things they need to know about god not the things that you've been taught about god what do they need to know about god and maybe in what order should we explain this to them we've got to think this through because there are very real situations where children have been had horrible things happen and certain truths are are Maybe they're not ready to grasp this yet. And maybe there's other things they need to know. And if we're not thinking this through, um, we're we're continuing to marginalize people. I mean, they're just not going to have any interest in, you know, mm-hmm. in wanting to hear what we have to say. If we're introducing thoughts that they just can't grasp, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile? You know, we talk about the sovereignty of God and and the will of man. And we try to reconcile this as some kind of theological exercise um, and some kind of debate we can blog over. But this is a very real topic. And if you haven't thought this through, you shouldn't, you you know, uh, well, my challenge would be start thinking it through. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, because one of the more har- harmful things that can be done is having not thought that through just simply to go off spouting something that you believe in. And while it might be true, I mean, it's absolutely true, isn't it, Steve, that God is sovereign. Yeah, but, absolutely. But put that in the context of a, a young woman who has been severely abused, that's a hard, hard thing to reconcile. So, I, I, I mean, I think you're right on. Yeah, and I think that this is what... What's so hard is we also have to fight against our own proclivity, right? Like, how was God good to me? How did I understand the goodness of God or or the good news about Jesus? And then that feeling of, and now I want to try to just turn that and like we've talked about, run that playbook, run that exact same feeling for others. And it needs to be presented to them in A, B, C, D order because that's what worked for me. And so clearly it's going to work for them. And, uh, you know, it's not like even I'm kind of chuckling a little bit, right? Like, cause you're, you're nailing this Steve. And some of my, some of the experience in the evangelical world here in the West is, well, then all we need to do is write a book about it. We just need to write a book and we need to get these thoughts out and uh, tell people this is the way that we are to do this, but how unhelpful. It, it this is a call to be more present with the Holy Spirit as we are listening to the people that God has brought us, to the people that He has put in front of us, hearing their stories, dialoguing with our Father, and then talking with them on what we are hearing. Oh, this is this is what's coming out. This is this is who God is and who you need to know him as at this stage. Um, something else that popped into my mind, if we're jumping to like a, like a Hebrews type analogy, is I wonder if, 
I don't want to make a theological statement and have to walk it back later. I wonder if it's the same meat for everybody and it's the same milk for everybody with God that some people like we're like you're saying, Steve, like those treatises of the sovereign God that, you know, this, these are the big ones. We really need to know these things. I wonder if um, for some people that was the meat that they needed to end up getting to, but for other people, that's not actually the meat. That's not actually the thing that, that fuels um, the growth in their faith that different things or different parts of God might be those, like you're saying, those first level things, the milk that we need to start weaning in on to then move to different things. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. So the longer I'm talking, the worse this is starting to sound, but it makes sense a little bit. And both of you are nodding and smiling. So at least I can handle that. <laughs> well, I, one of the, the issues that's kind of, that's burden in, in my mind is we, <clears throat> We sometimes have a tendency in, in the West to um, want to give answers, and and we want to tie things up, and, and you know we want to have the answer, the path, the the process. You know, we like having all that laid out for us. And so we've, you know, the, there is something that's very real, and you know, in, in the story of this young young girl, um, there there is a reality at this moment that that the ministry with her is love and compassion, but this really is in some ways, um, and I wanna be careful how I word this, I'm out, uh, because I feel like it probably a lot of shots could be taken, but this is God's problem to solve. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is that it's not passing the buck, it's, it's recognizing yeah. that my part to play in this moment is presence, it's love, it's not, being the answer i've got the answer i've right. got the theological right. pill that if you could just swallow this understand this one theological point and so let me give you five you know scripture verses a quote <laughs> from calvin and i think the whole thing will just wrap up for you and it'll make sense of your whole world the reality is that no one can no. make sense of a 12 year old being abused for seven years no right. one can make sense of that god can i, I can't explain why that happened I can't explain why that's happening to a hundred million children every year. I I can't explain it. Um, and 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 my goal at this moment is not to be the answer in that regard. Yeah. It's to be there of presence. It's to love, mm -hmm. and it's to remind her of when she's asking me to remind her that God is just, and that and that there is a day of judgment coming. Mm -hmm. And and that and and that you know in in our theology theological order eschatology often is the last chapter of your theology book, but in the world of of global hurt, and in the world of at risk children, eschatology is our, needs to be the first chapter. We need to see that God's going to reconcile these things, and I think as we mm -hmm. just try to think through mm -hmm. how we think about this. Man, let's spend a little bit more time thinking about the problem, not reducing it down to its most simplest form so we can give a simple answer. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I remember one time somebody saying to me, well, things happen to people in the world because, well, you know, they're sinners. And, and so there's a consequence of sin. Well, I just always say, well, what sin did this 12-year-old endure to have to go through all of that? Mm -hmm. It's causal. It's her fault. It's not her fault. You know, I mean, I mean the reality is that oh. she's touching the evil 
the evil of this world, the corruption of this world is 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 bared down upon these these, these young children. But there's a hope that God's going to make this right. Yeah. Yeah. But but the issue isn't to try to tie this up in a bow, into one right. theological bow, but it's to understand the problem. Let's think about this problem a little more deeply. And then let's just ask ourselves the question. This person who's coming in, what state are they in? What do they need to know? What do they, what do I need to know and trust in? And what can what truth will further my love and compassion for them and, and unleash that? And uh and 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 to find it that, man, I'm gonna comfort you in your affliction. I, mean, I can't resolve this affliction, but I can comfort you in it. And yeah. uh, you know, I think that's I think we've got to discover love and compassion and comfort uh, yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, that's so good. And and to and this presupposes uh, a uh, a relationship with the person, a, a real genuine listening to the person. And I've so appreciated um, the whole area today of trauma informed ministry, which is an area that we have been increasingly diving into. Uh, we have a, a student that is doing some research on trauma-informed ministry currently, and excited to see that research continue to to benefit us as we're thinking about uh, how we can best work in this space. But we also had a, a couple great chapters in our our one of our latest books on social injustice, the second volume, where Kathy uh, Batia writes it, just a beautiful chapter on. Uh, wrestling with trauma and ways in which that we can uh, help others to uh, really express themselves in, in those traumatic events. And then uh, a great chapter by Michaela, uh, our daughter, and Brian Salveron, who write about mental health and just helping to raise awareness of that issue for the church today. And uh, and so this is these are very important things that we need to struggle with, wrestle with, uh, and we're not necessarily looking for answers as much as mm-hmm. we're looking for us to be better equipped to be listeners, ask good questions, let people express themselves, and then pray for God's wisdom mm-hmm. as we uh, minister and comfort those who have just experienced some of the most horrific, horrific uh, abuses. Mm-hmm. I feel as we close our podcast today, that call to pray for wisdom seems like just the best place to land, mm-hmm. uh, to go to our King and and ask for that wisdom and maybe even a little bit of patience um, so as we are formed uh, more and more into his image, uh, the shepherd that cares for his sheep and that we can wisely patiently and graciously shepherd like him as under shepherds Uh, for those of you who have joined us today thank you so much for being uh, with us for the Ephesiology podcast Michael where can people pick up this book that you were referencing oh well of course on Amazon it's uh, available Social Injustice Volume 2 Evangelical Voices in Tumultuous Times I think is the subtitle it was a, just a real joy to work on this project with several several uh, practitioners in ministry and scholars from around the world. And um, yeah, that's a, a, a great place to begin to get our minds around uh, the issues of justice um, that we really should be 
very much a part of in addressing in uh, the way in which we do our missions. Great. And then, uh, Steve, how can people interact with you at Two Every Tribe? They just go to the contact page. They can uh, they can get a hold of me through that. And these topics we're talking about, we'll be uh, publishing them in, in a in a document too. So if people want to copy that, they can let me know, and we can. Once we have it published, we will get it to everybody. Now, you just already answered the question I was about to ask you. So I'm really excited for this forthcoming article, uh, Document, wherever it will be published. Uh, Thank you all for joining us in this wonderful conversation. Pick up with us on the Facebooks, the interwebs, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We would love to hear from you. And uh, especially if, how are some of these topics and these forces Uh, coming to light in the communities you're in. We would love to hear that. So for Michael, Steve, and myself, thank you for joining us on the Ephesiology Podcast.